You survived. Fashion week is is over. Sort mm-hmm. of. This one is. Yeah. How was it? It was good. How many shows did you do? I did 40. I reviewed 40 and then I probably went to I don't know 44 or 45 for for quote unquote fun just to see the clothes. Cool. And now but now Paris is next, right? Yeah, there's there's London. People are in London right now. Then the end of the week, it'll be Milan, and then Paris starts next Tuesday. And one thing, uh, by the way, we should probably stop and say welcome to episode 19 of The Needle and the Mouse. Uh, I'm Dan Fromer. I'm Lauren Sherman. Thanks for joining us again in our at our kitchen table. Um. One of the things that we talk about is uh, seating charts, and you actually wrote an interesting article about this. Uh, apparently, yeah. a lot of people in fashion care a great deal about where they're sitting in the show. Um, why is that? Well, I mean, it's obviously an ego thing. Everybody cares to an extent. Some people care more than others. Um, and it's definitely something that I'd say that is more important at the traditional magazines or the like big retailers where you sit has a lot to say about your status at the magazine and also how the brand values you. So if you're front row, that means that the brand really wants you to be there and wants you to either write about it or buy the clothes. So they want you to have the best seat in the house. Um, and I'd say at, at magazines, there's a lot of just politics. You know, if, if someone is seated in front of another person who's been working there for a really long time, it's kind of seen as, um, I don't know, like an affront to that person, and people will walk out if they feel like they've been seated it's improperly. It's a way to get you not to come, right? If you're if you get your invitation and it's like row five, and you're supposed to be an important person. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. Who, who usually sits in the front row. Uh, editors and chiefs of like magazines. Yeah, of magazines, fashion directors sometimes. Um, fashion directors, celebrities, uh, celebrities yeah. obviously, and then also like really good clients at some cool. shows um, and also buyers, like the top buyers or the CEO of Barney's. If the mm-hmm. CEO of Barney's is there, he's going to sit in the front row. And is it – obviously you get a better look at the clothes. Yeah. Um, but what else – is? are there other reasons to be there besides prestige? Um, I, I guess you get in the pictures, right? Yeah, I think, I mean, a big reason is that those people usually get photographed. So, yeah. of course, a celebrity or – there have been a couple shows I've been to, Burberry for one, that like the mi- more minor celebrities will be in the second row. Hmm. And I remember once um, the CEO of a really big e-commerce site was second row at Dolce & Gabbana. And it was kind of like, why is, is that person sitting second row? It's very, it's just yeah. absurd. I I've mean, only sat last row. and I actually <laughs> That's not I, true. You sat like, well, that one time we went, we, oh yeah, I we took you like to Ralph Rucci. Row. We were in like the second row. I it's always, pretty good. I would prefer, if I were ever to be like important in fashion, which <laughs> maybe the show will get to a point where uh, maybe, you know, yes. we're, we're invited together to the shows. <laughs> I would always want to sit in the back because I just like the feeling of not having anyone in back of me. Yeah, I mean, when, weird? when I'm reviewing shows, obviously, it's really good to sit in the front row or the second, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I've stood at shows, especially in Europe where, you know, and when I first started going and they did, you know, I was working for smaller online outlets and they didn't know us. And as long as we got invited, I was happy just to be able to see the clothes. And also for, for Instagram photos, sometimes that's better because you can kind of crouch 
in the front and get a good oh, picture yeah. because like now when I go to Europe, I sit in four or five usually and I can't get any good pictures from there. Hmm. Um, All right. We got to get you a good yeah. zoom. Yeah. But it, you know, it was, it was funny because this season, Mark Jacobs, so Yeah, I was going to say what happened that changed everything. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> it didn't change anything, <laughs> but um, so Mark Jacobs is, is planning an IPO in the next couple of years. He quit, one of his jobs as creative director of Louis, well, artistic director of Louis Vuitton, and is now only focusing on his brand. He even hired a designer to fo- to design his cheaper line. So all he's doing is his main collection. He's um, going all in on himself. Yeah, and so yep. he's really focusing on the brand. So I don't know if they did this on purpose or it was just the way he wanted the setup, but it was kind of a maze at the show. So everyone sat front row. And the models kind of walked through the maze. And so you got, we all sat, usually I'm in the last row at Mark Jacobs. Yeah. So it was. So instead of making it one, one row of models and with, with, um, seating on both sides, they made a long squiggly yeah. single row of seats that went throughout the whole room. Yeah. Instead and of being like a basketball walk, court. Like six times as far. Yeah. Yeah. And they walked really fast. So <laughs> even though the Instagram should have been better, they were worse because, oh, interesting. because the models were walking were so, so quickly. So it was just interesting. It was like a very nice way to end a week that, you know, because I'm a freelancer and I write for so many publications and, you know, I'm really focused that week on my reviews. Um, I'm not as caught up in all the politics stuff as a lot of people, but my friend and I were just talking about how, you know, it's fashion. You work in fashion. It's really fun. You should just enjoy it. And that kind of made – no one could complain about their seat. I yeah. mean, and if they well, did, was that funny. was absurd. Because you were the first person to mention it to me, but then I you know, I also followed some of your friends on Twitter and Instagram, and they made the same point. They are like, look, we're all front row right yeah, now. Yeah, I definitely thought that I was row I. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I texted my friend Lan and it, she she works at a big magazine. She has a she's pretty high up, so she was like, "Yeah, I'm in." The, there is a chance she would have had front row there, but but yeah. it's still unlikely. So, and we started all checking around, and everyone was like, "It's really weird. It says I'm row one." And so then we realized that everybody was row one, and it was pretty fun. It's the last show of Fashion Week, and it was like a really great way to. And I didn't have to review it, so it was a great way to. Kind of end the week on a Were high note. Were there any politics over who was in the middle of the snake or closest to the door? Oh, you know who was like in that. the middle. Yeah, see? So there's still some hierarchy, but it's just a matter of yeah. where in the esophagus Well, the funny thing is I was really – I was pretty close to the middle, which was Ooh, nice. Yeah. Cool. But – and then also it's like the first seat is supposed to be the best seat because you get the, you know, the first look. So yeah. whatever. Oh, that's true. It's, yeah. it's, it, it's definitely interesting. And So what – so is this like a trend or is this is this ever going to happen again? Well, a, on purpose. A friend of mine who's a publicist when I tweeted my seat made a comment like this is a dream come true for me because they have to deal with people like Sure. You know, being mad about where they're sat, yelling, all that stuff. So I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, Mark Jacobs does tend to for his other show do two rows. Mm-hmm. So it's very similar and, you know, again, it's really nice to be in the second row even so that makes a huge difference um i could and a lot a lot of the bigger you know more not bigger but more um like cooler designers Proenza, schooler 
um, Narcisa Rodriguez, they always only have two rows. They mm. just they don't they also don't invite as many people as the bigger brands like a Michael Kors, um, Alfred. So I hope so. I mean, it's really fun and it does. It it was it was fun. It was interesting. I mean, I'm more than happy to go back to sitting in the last row again. What the, um, <clears throat> there's there's a surprising amount of uh, manual, but also technical stuff involved in the seating layouts in the first place, right? Yeah, yeah. There's like a big chart that they do by hand, and it was all done by hand until I think four or five years ago. This company called Fashion GPS, which was a tech guy at one of the PR firms, they asked him to create like yeah. a, a computerized seating chart. And now he has this huge business that's had gotten a lot of funding, um, which is do, interesting. Do, um, would a designer a know or B care where someone's sitting in someone else's show and then use that to determine where they're going to sit in their show or do they not care about that? I think, I don't think so. I mean, I think that knowing that, when I first start, when I was at Fashionista editing the site, and we first started going to Europe, I think it was important for brands to know. Oh, you get invited to Chanel. You're yeah. already invited. We got invited to Chanel the first season we covered the Paris show. So knowing that, I think it kind of gives maybe smaller brands permission to invite you. Cool. Um, but I think in general that it you are invited if you are supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. The seating is a little more. Do you have to apply to be invited? Um, Some... no. I mean, there is an application. There is like a registration for Mercedes Benz Fashion Week, but most yeah. people don't do it. Um, it's mostly international. Like when I went to London Fashion Week, I registered just so I could, you know, walk around the tents really easily without having to. But here, I wouldn't do that because I have direct relationships with the publicists. Is there like a website? Does Fashion GPS work? For you too, like, can you log in and see all the shows you're going to? Yeah, oh, that's yeah, cool. it's great. It's um, I mean, it's definitely a work in progress, but it's it's great and it's a nice way to kind of keep track of everything and and also just know what you're invited to before you get the hard invite. Because I yeah. often, again, because I freelance for so many people, I don't always get my invite hard invite, so I wouldn't even know if I was invited unless there was if it wasn't for Fashion GPS. Well, that's really cool. Um, it definitely got an, uh, enough attention that it was a good idea, I think. Here's my question. Are there seating assignments at the Apple keynote? That's funny you ask. No, there aren't. Um, they do kind of break the photographers off separately because they get a separate section. Um, and then a few of the rows up front are usually reserved for either Apple executives or VIPs or like Steve Wozniak or something like that or yeah. Steve Jobs' um, wife or, uh, you know, some of the other people who are presenting. But usually it's a free-for-all. Like some of the bigger Apple keynotes I've been – I've only been to actually the ones at the, like the w, like the Macworld show or the WWDC show. So that's in a huge auditorium with like thousands of seats of which – certain sections are roped off for press. Um, and those are straight up like free for all. So when the doors open, people literally run to the front. Yeah. Um, that's kind uh, of fun. Yeah. I mean, and if, if a lot of it depends on if you're going to take pictures or not. And then there's the question like, do I want to be closer to the side or closer to the front? Like, is it, obviously the ideal would be center 
front yeah. um, for something like that, especially if you're going to take photos. I was in the su- – the center was not available. We were on the side, and I got like the second or third row, which was very nice for me. Yeah, um, that's great. But there's also the uh, legroom consideration, especially when you're dealing with the <laughs> camera. So if you can't get a really f- close to the seat, uh, close to the f- to the stage seat, what I'll often do is take the first row of the second section, so I have unlimited legroom and can like spread out my camera and my laptop and my mm. bag and that kind of stuff. So that's smart. Um, <clears throat> further back, have to zoom a little more, but but no, that uh, I've never been to the ones at like Apple headquarters. Mm-hmm. Which <clears throat> is a very small auditorium, or there's some other places they venues they use where they have, um, you know. But I don't think they have assigned seating ever. I went to one that they did in New York with Verizon, and that's where I sat in back of John Oliver for the mm-hmm. Daily Show, and I photographed his notes because they did like a comedy, yeah, um, spe- uh, like routine around the, the show. Around the the keynote, yeah, where he like shouted out and started making silly comments. Um, That's funny. But yeah, I don't think anyone had assigned seating. Mostly just setting up the TV cameras and that kind of stuff. But they're also quite ruthless about who they invite and who they don't invite. Like, yeah, um, I'm sure. And in recent years, they have been a lot more um, open to international attendees. So. Like when I was working at, you know, random small website, they sometimes invited us when the auditorium was big enough, but sometimes when it was smaller, uh, and especially if they wanted more foreign press to come and cover it, then we were not invited. Um, And sometimes, obviously, like enough people RSVP know that you get on in the second list. It's like any party, you know. Yeah, yeah, of course. Third tier invite. Yeah. But but no, there's no... um, there's no seating chart that uh, yeah. has any status attached just, to it. Just another way the fashion and tech worlds are so different. Yeah, although it's funny. In some of the Apple keynotes, you can see, like the videos that Apple posts, you can see who's sitting next to each other, which is kind of interesting, especially yeah. if it's like, you know, who's sitting next to Al Gore. Yeah, totally. Or who's sitting next to um, Dave from Path or something like that. Yeah. But, uh, <clears throat> All right, well, I just got back from San Francisco, actually, and one of the places I kept walking past was the store-slash-headquarters, I guess, of Beta Brand, which is something I want to talk to you about. Yeah. Um, what is Beta Brand? So I looked it up today, and I had heard of it because they are – one of their brands is that quarter rounds. Remember that? Like, round corduroys. Ah. Ralfred? It's very uh, chatty. Sure. I feel like someone, when we worked at Forbes, wrote about it. I just remember, if you look at me, I'll tell you who. Weird. So I just remember yeah. that uh, a few weeks ago, I made a joke about how sweatpants are the new jeans. Yeah. Because people are constantly buying and wearing sweatpants and sweatshirts now. Yeah. And someone uh, pointed out the Beta brand black dress sweatpants. Oh, yeah. And they have a blazer, too, I think. What you, What's your... Thinking around I mean, that. I actually have a blazer made out of jersey fabric. You can't really tell. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Did we get that in London or something? Oh, that one. Yeah, I know that. I don't that have that anymore. Gone. That was from Primark. That cost <laughs> yeah, like five dollars. That was funny. No, I have like a nice oh, okay. my band of outside that blue blue blazer I have with the stripes and the leather. Oh, yeah, I love that. That's made of a jersey fabric, cool. but in general, I don't really like 
those. I just think they look, I love that, but it doesn't look like a sweatshirt. So yeah. I love sweatshirts. I love sweats, but yeah, I just. You're really, you were way ahead of the curve I'm, in the sweatshirt. Yeah, thing. I'm very into, because I love gray. Yeah. So, but I'm very into all that stuff, but I'm not super into pants and that feel. Yeah. I don't know. I, I that website, the, so I looked and it's basically. It seems like it's an incubator for small brands. Like they sell a bunch of so brands. Like crowdsourced. I think it's kind of yes. It's yeah, there is some crowdsourced. I think it may kind of be like of a kind in a way, but not cool. Um, well, there's definitely it's just an not, element, and it's of, definitely geared towards guys. It's yeah, goofy. It's, there's like there's a like disco a brand. Cheap, very weird. Yeah, the sexiest presidents say day sale ever. Yeah, it, I mean it's fine. I mm. so. I guess the bigger question is what to make of these clothing brands that are oh the, oh the other thing they have are these chef jeans with uh who's our our pal oh well he's not our pal Chris Cosentino you <laughs> like some we like some hey, of his food he's all right um here are these chef jeans that have like an iPhone pocket in the back yeah and then a pen pocket in the on the side. It it feels, it feels it feels very gimmicky. It feels very San Francisco to me. Yeah, I wonder like, if people there. I should have done some more reporting on this. I wonder if people there actually buy this stuff. It, it reminds me a lot of something that you would buy at Urban Outfitters, maybe, or something like that. And but, maybe, but in, and like, maybe the you will. Department. And maybe you will maybe eventually. You will. What do you think of like? So there's this. There's Everlane. There's Bonobo, Bonobos. Bonobos. Yeah. There's these kind of web first clothing brands yeah. that that range from semi serious or like very serious to mm-hmm. this seems to be semi jokey. Yeah. What's What's your take on that? I mean, I think that that's how you should launch a brand now. Yeah. I think that if you're doing, you definitely. I mean, especially if you're doing more affordable stuff, it just makes way more sense. Like Everlane has done an incredible job of creating a brand and you know, their t-shirts are 15 bucks and they make them in China, but they also do, um, you know, videos of their Chinese factories. So they're like, yeah, "Yeah, we make in China and it's actually really nice. So, um, yeah, I think it's a, a really smart way. I think Bonobos now is, has kind of pop-up satellite stores where they don't actually sell a lot of stuff, but they the you can try shop. stuff on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't. It's. I'm. I don't know. I mean, I think that it's. I think Bonobos is really smart, and aesthetically, am I jumping for joy? And th- I, I'm not like telling you to go buy stuff there, but. I think that they they've been really smart and they understand what you, the typical American guy wants, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's yeah. a smart way. I mean, I do. I think right now, brick and mortar is still super important. Obviously, it's still most of what retail you know most of retail sales. But I also think that in the future, it's gonna it will be important, but it will serve more as a showroom. Mm. It's kind of yeah, like you go like and try the stuff on. Yeah. I wish they had a store cause I've never actually bought anything from there. I know you have, but yeah. if they had a store in Soho, I probably would have bought something there last night when we were out yeah. walking around. I also think it's more important for guys to try stuff on than women. Yeah. And, and that's a, just a part of like men versus women psychology and B also that we have been, 
you know, net-a-porter launched in 2000, so we are all more trained to do that than than men are. Like it, mm-hmm. The the men's version of net-a-porter didn't launch until, I don't know, like 98, uh, 2008 or something like that. So I think that it might have even been later. Um, I have almost 100% of the time been dissatisfied with clothes that I've bought online. Yeah, whereas I've, I've tried them. Like yeah. if it's J. Crew and I've seen it in the store... Or if it's something I've already purchased before, like the same pair of shoes four times, very happy to order that online. Yeah. But every other time, it's either been a fabric I don't like, the fit sucks. I bought something from freaking, what was that site? Blue Fly or something? That was just horrible, and I had to send that back. Yeah. Um, that was like almost 10 years ago. Yeah, I definitely, you bought something from Blue Fly. I was like, you have not done that since we've been dating. No, that was a long time ago. Um, But yeah, I think... It's just more important for guys, and there's not as much guys. Like uh, Jack Thread supposedly does very well, especially on mobile. Like this is a kind yeah. of, an, of another market that's kind of untapped. Shopping on your phone, whether you're well, trying to shop on your there. phone or whether you just end up shopping on your phone because someone linked to it from somewhere. Yeah. I think it's getting there. I think, and I think for women also, you know, I go out and look at clothes a lot more than you do, and not just because I'm a fashion writer, because I'm a girl. Like not no. to not to no I get it but um I think that I have a better sense of like what the quality of a product's gonna be when I see it online than you do, um because the only shop you really go in a lot is J Crew. Well, or Patagonia. Yeah. Or, it know. may not be. Um, it's I'm not saying it's completely gender specific, but it is. It definitely has something to do with men's and women's shopping habits. Okay, I agree. Um, but the thing, speaking of which we're talking cause you have to go. So we're going to, we're going to close this out. Okay. Right. You have to go, right? Yeah. I mean, I would like to talk about this brand stuff, but what oh, are yeah. you going to say? More about it. No, I was just going to say that the whole idea of, of that beta brands thing is to kind of foster and, and create new brands. And there was an article, James Sirwicki in the New Yorker, February 17th and 24th issue. And I always read his. We love his page. Yeah, he's awesome. It's really well written. It's really clear, and it's super simple, deceptively simple. But he talks a lot about how there's really no brand loyalty anymore unless you're a luxury brand. And even mm-hmm. then, it doesn't really exist as much as it used to. Like, there's not really, you know, people used to buy GM cars because that's all that they knew. They just you, you knew that you were going to get a good car if you bought that. And he made the example of Hyundai that used to be like a joke and now they sell millions and millions of cars because people are way more interested in the quality now than the brand. Um and so I think it's that that beta brands just seemed I mean they're obviously an interesting they're not exactly what this is talking about because they're also super jokey. But um but yeah, it's just interesting to think about whether or not any of this brand stuff, like we talk about brands so much and we talk about personal brands, but when it comes to buying stuff, like mm-hmm. there is no brand loyalty anymore anyway. So what you really need to do, like he used Lululemon as the example. A year ago, Lululemon was on top of the world. It was doing really well. Then some of the product got crappy. People started complaining. The founder made an offhanded comment that sounded like he was saying some girls were too fat to wear the clothes, which 
which I've listened to, and he actually didn't say that. But um, <laughs> but regardless, he said something that was inappropriate, and um, now their brand is in the shitter. So, it, but if they start making good stuff again, it could it could get better again. Right. All they need is one hit product. Yeah. Whereas twenty years ago, so that's probably actually you know, harder than for a brand. Oh yeah. Because now you can't just do one thing. Like think about Polar. Now that that um, knapsack is like, yeah, not a funny gag anymore. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it could it could have been something that brought their brand to millions of people who never would have found it otherwise. Yeah, but all the other thing. stuff has to be good too. But then you got to keep doing good stuff. Yeah. I would say that Apple is probably the counterexample of that, and maybe just because they started really catching on mainstream like 10, 15 years ago with the uh, the iPod yeah, and, and some of the newer Macs that, that happened when Steve Jobs came back. Like there are definitely people who straight up just buy Apple stuff because of the brand. Now, it's a unique case because the everything is also extremely high quality yeah. and the brand itself kind of stands for that quality. But Well, well the interesting thing here is that a, you're right, and Apple really is a luxury brand, which is the one that this guy, the one area that he thinks that oh, branding still matters. But yeah. he also mentioned um, Asus, which I have actually never heard of, and Acer, which I have heard of, and that those brands had almost no brand identity outside of Taiwan a decade ago, and now they're pretty big players. Yep. Um, and they compete with Apple, which is the mo- world's most valuable brand. Right. So there is... Those are like the Hyundai of... Yeah. So of it is interesting laptops. to think and, about and things like that way. And like we bought this Vizio TV, yeah. which 10 years ago, no one never heard of Vizio. Yeah. It became big because of things like Costco and mm-hmm. Amazon. And now it's like, you know, pretty solid TV, really great value. Yeah. Uh, it's not like a classy brand, but whatever. Well, until Apple comes until out Apple, with that, right. which is the until point. Apple until Apple comes totally. out with a TV, who cares? As long uh, as that's it's really good. interesting. I wonder what who's that good for? I guess it's probably good for the buyer. It's good for the and consumer. It's probably also good for the search engine and also the people who are determining what's good and what's bad. Yeah. Um, it probably makes it even harder to be a brand, a non-luxury brand. It, it makes it good for your friend who who runs um the wire cutter. Yeah, Brian Lamb. Yeah, yeah, p- totally. he is super He's valuable super important now. now. Yeah. So what was the um, other thing? So the last to thing we about? want to talk about was uh, Instagram shopping. Oh um, yeah, which we had on our to talk about list, uh, and it kind of gets back to the mobile mobile commerce thing we were talking about a few minutes ago. Um, yeah, you had written a thing not too long ago about uh, one. What is it? Like a thrift shop in somewhere? In in Brooklyn, yeah. What are they doing? They are... So, did we talk about this last week? We may have talked about it with the... um, With Elizabeth? No, I think maybe with uh, Claire and Eric. Okay, we'll talk about it briefly. I don't know why we we can talk about it again. I think the question we had was, is Instagram finally going to make this easier? Because wasn't there some chatter about how they were finally going to start caring more about commerce on Instagram. Yeah, like I mean... It's still, like, super hard to do. You can't link through. No. You have people uh, telling you to, to click on the link in your profile. Yeah. I I don't know if they care yet. Yeah. I think they're focusing more on the ad, the ad stuff, figuring out the ad stuff now, mm-hmm. because that is a... 
you know, Facebook and Twitter have proved that you can make a lot of money off of that, right? Am yes. I wrong in saying no, that? No, no, you're right. So I think that they're probably focusing on the ad. They just started doing Instagram ads probably less than six months ago with big fashion brands. One of the first ones was Michael Kors and it showed up in my stream and I don't hmm. follow Michael Kors. Um, yeah. But I think a lot of people were hated it, but at the same time, it's kind of... Instagram is like Tumblr in that the community is super, super protective. Yes. Um, so I think I mean, there was some backlash, but at the same time, I think people will get used to it. Um, I think that they should make it really easy to shop because that's well, that's where fashion brands and clothing brands in general really do well is Instagram because it's visual. And there have been so many times when I've looked at you know, some pair of shoes and thought, Oh, I want those. And if you could click through, it would be more likely. But so what, what a lot of smaller boutiques are doing is like this boutique in Williamsburg is they, they, it's kind of crazy, but they, um, have a lot of their customers information on file, or you can call and give them your information. If you see something posted on, on Instagram and it says, you know, vintage t-shirt, $14. If you're the first person, they have a certain saying, this one in Williamsburg, it says, ring me. If you say ring me uh, underneath the photo and they have your credit card information, you get the shirt. So once you start following them, and I think, you know, it's what it has done for them is that they've been able to open a second shop on days when no one is going into those kinds of stores. Yes. Like on a Snow really day, snowy Tuesday. day, they're selling stuff. Hmm. It's You can't really have e-commerce when you have one of those shops because everything's one of a kind. Yep. So it really needs to be more of have an auction feeling. and. And it's also letting them, they all have so much inventory. It's letting them get a, get rid of in inventory more quickly. And because the production cost is so, so low, it's literally just taking a picture with your phone. And yeah. Posting three lines about it. Yeah. Know, not even like one yeah. word. Every say, once in a while. Shirt. Yeah. Every once in a while, they'll have one of their, you know, employees model it to, if it's yeah. a weird piece or whatever. But in general, it's just literally on a hanger and it's like, this is a cool shirt and it will, it says it's a small, but it will fit, you know, up to a size 10 or whatever. That's awesome. Yeah. It's well, really tw- smart. Um, nice. Well, hopefully we'll see more of that. Um, Insta- uh, Twitter actually recently hired the former CEO of Ticketmaster to yeah. launch Twitter commerce. So we'll have, probably have that to look forward to at some point this year. Cool. Um, all right. Well, that's a good show. Um, I look forward to talking about that more with uh, you. Yeah. Well, when you come back from Paris, we can talk about um, the seating arrangements. And <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in. As always, if you have any questions for us, we'd love to answer them uh, on the show. Tweet us at Needle and Mouse on Twitter. You can email us at hello at theneedleandthemouse.com. Or yeah, that's about it. You don't need to send us mail. Um, the needle on the mouse.com is our website. Follow us there. Also on Tumblr, the needle on the mouse.com. And we look forward to hearing from you. Oh, you can also now follow us on SoundCloud where we post these shows now. Uh, nice. Look forward to another show in a couple weeks. Thanks. Bye.